Good morning. Welcome to Elam's online service. Uh, today we're going to be focusing on infant baptism, and so our scripture lesson is from Luke 18, uh, starting with verse 15 here. Now they, some of the people, were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belong the kingdom of heaven. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's pray. Father God, these are your words. I pray that you would bless them today as we look at them and help me to open them up in this uh, topic of infant baptism. Help us to get a better scriptural understanding of this uh, doctrine. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some people who look at Elam from the outside might see a church of refugees from many different denominations. That's because the congregation is made up of many different people from different backgrounds, and it's much different than the church was at its conception. When we look back at the founding of this church in 1968, uh, it was rooted in Scandinavian Free Lutheranism. Today, the majority of the people attending on any given Sunday are neither Scandinavian or, for that matter, very Lutheran. I can relate to these refugees. Uh, Sixteen years ago, some friends of ours invited us uh, to a little church in North Minneapolis called Hope Lutheran. And uh, we were not Lutheran. Uh, We were coming from a different church that was in transition and changing locations, and uh, we didn't want to make the trip up to where they were moving to. And so it was uh, Easter Sunday, and our friend said, how about you try out Hope Lutheran? So we walked in there, and I remember as I went into the service, I was thinking back to my childhood and what I remembered of Lutheranism, which was uh, basically a catechism class that my mom somehow got me into. And uh, I remember it being filled with a lot of liturgy, and uh, it was dry to me, crusty. And so I was shocked when uh, I began to get choked up during the worship service, Uh, And I was just so encouraged by Pastor Tom Brock's message, uh, the pastor at the time. uh, They had a full worship band. I mean, the place was full. And uh, I didn't think it uh, seemed what I remember to be very Lutheran. Now, I was not excited necessarily to become Lutheran. Uh, I probably wouldn't have even been able to tell you what the Lutheran distinctives were. Then Pastor Rich Carr told me one Sunday that he thought that I should consider seminary, um, full-time ministry. And I told him I don't even believe in infant baptism. And so we met over coffee that week, and uh, he began to challenge me. And I began to challenge myself that I hadn't really done uh, the work or the digging into the issue to really make a a solid decision about what I believed. And so uh, some of you are probably in that same place as you Uh, Think about coming to Elam here. You're not really coming uh, because it's Lutheran so much. Uh, You're coming here because of the people or because of the music or the uh, biblical messages or whatever it might be. And we are still, though, a Lutheran church, Elam Lutheran. And I believe it's important to understand some of the things that we subscribe to. Infant uh, baptism is probably the doctrine that I get questioned on the most. And so we're going to look at four points. Uh, that acknowledge the scriptural reasons uh, for this practice. The first point is that when we baptize infants, we are acknowledging the command of Jesus to let the infants come to him. 
in Luke 18, 15 through 17 here that I just read, we see this morning that certain people have some cons- the same concern and desire that many of us as parents do here today. They wanted to see their children touched and blessed by Jesus. But the disciples were blocking them from coming. They felt that Jesus had more important things to do and things on his mind than some snotty-nosed babies. And maybe they felt that the children had no comprehension of what was going on and so could not uh, profit from an encounter with the Lord. But Jesus puts them in their place again. He lets them know that they have it all turned around, that the ones who make it into the kingdom of God are not the ones who have formed a sophisticated or complicated rational argument in their minds regarding a logical choice of accepting Christ as their Lord. No, they must become like these little ones. Usually when we see this passage depicted, uh, perhaps in a painting, uh, we see elementary age kids gathered around Jesus. But I believe the ESV gets it right here when they say that the people were bringing infants to Jesus. The word used here is always translated in Scripture to either mean an unborn embryo, like in Luke 1.41, where it speaks of John the Baptist leaping for joy in his mother's womb, or a newborn, like in Luke 2.12, where it's speaking about Jesus in the manger. So why is it that Jesus tells his disciples that they must become like infants? Well, for one thing, infants are helpless. They can't do anything for themselves. And this clearly shows us that we add nothing to our own salvation. Um, We are completely dependent upon the grace of our Heavenly Father for the gift of eternal life. And so many people get hung up on this issue. In fact, this is the issue that I probably got hung up the most on when I was not believing in infant baptism. They say things like, well, how can an infant make a decision or make a rational choice about following Jesus? Uh, They don't have the capacity. And from our perspective, that's the way that we perceive it. But from God's perspective, you were helpless dead infants that he picked up from the gutter and breathed life into. When Jesus says to the little children, come to him, uh, come to me and do not hinder them, one of the ways that we can hinder them from coming is by not baptizing them. As we talked about a couple weeks ago here, uh, baptism is his chosen physical mode of entrance into the Christian life. And it's interesting when you look at most churches that do not believe in infant baptism, they substitute it with what's called a baby dedication. I was looking at the wording in their service this week, and basically, it's a baptism without the water. But how is it that we know better than God? In his wisdom, he has determined how he wants things done, and it would be wise to follow those ways. The second point we see here in Scripture is that when we baptize infants, we are acknowledging the role of the father as the head of the household. One of the biggest arguments that I hear against the baptism of infants comes from parents who believe that there's a greater benefit to a child who makes their own decision about their faith in the Lord, that it'll somehow stick better because they made the choice on their own. And I would say that I agree to some degree that at some point each child will have to make a decision about whether they will continue to walk in the faith that their parents have tried to instill in them through various methods. 
And I believe that this line of reasoning, though, negates the essential scriptural teaching of the Father as being placed as the head of the household, as the spiritual leader. He does not leave it up to chance or decision from the child as to whether they will be Christians. He takes steps to ensure that the son or daughter's citizenship is in the kingdom of God. An example of this kind of leadership is shown uh, in the thing that baptism is compared to in Colossians 2, 11 through 12, which is circumcision. We talked about this briefly last week. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Initially, in regard to circumcision, in Israel, the father of the house was responsible for bringing the male child at eight days year old, uh, who was born to them, into the synagogue in order that they might be circumcised and become citizens of Israel. And there was not a choice in this matter. In fact, if they had a choice, they probably would have skipped it, right? And the child was an Israelite until he decided to walk away from his citizenship later in life through some traitorous disobedience. And so it is for our children. The spiritual head of the house brings them to Christ in baptism. And they remain in that covenant until they decide later in life to walk away from the kingdom of God through a traitorous disobedience to God or rejection of his way of salvation. This method is clearly seen in the case of Lydia and the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. After Lydia came to Christ, her whole family was baptized. The jailer, who by the way was a a pagan worshiper and a Gentile, uh, came to Christ after seeing the power of God to free Paul and Silas, and also their mercy of not having him executed and not running away. And so he didn't just run home and ask his family if they wanted to follow Christ. They knew that he was the spiritual head, and they all were baptized. In other areas of life, you do not leave your children a choice as to what you think is good for them. You don't leave them a choice of whether they can go to school or not. You don't wake up one day and say, hey, do you guys want to go to school today? I mean, we'd have a pretty dumb nation if it were that uh, left to the kids. You don't let them bathe when they feel like it. And you don't even let them eat whatever they feel like. You know that certain things are good for them. And how much more should we be actively bringing our children to Christ through the means of grace provided by God? Third, when we baptize infants, we are acknowledging their ability to have faith imparted to them. And so this brings us to the qualifications required for baptism and what actually happens when we are baptized. Many will say that babies should not even be baptized because they cannot believe or have faith. And because we recognize the immaturity of the mind of the infant, we assume that in the spiritual matters they must be equally limited in their capacity. Because I'm not a scientist or a biology major, I cannot prove empirically what infants can or cannot spiritually comprehend. But what I can do is I can point to God who shows us in his word what they are able to comprehend. First, I would have you look at uh, Jesus' response to the disciples' questions in Matthew 18.6 about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He calls for a child, and uh, the word that's used here is infant or small child or a toddler, okay? 
it's definitely not somebody who is comprehending or is mature in their rational thinking. And he warns anyone who hinders these little ones who believe in him that it would be better if a millstone were tied around their neck and that they were thrown into the sea. I want you to note that Jesus uh, says that they believe in him and that we should do likewise. But some might ask, well, how can they believe in him? They're not mature enough to make an informed decision to follow this guy from Galilee as compared to other people who are leading them perhaps astray. But it gets more incredible than this. I would invite you to look at Psalm 22, 9 through 10. Here David is speaking. He says, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Here David, through the Holy Spirit, declares the truth that he was caused by God to trust in God while he was still a nursing infant. God was his God from his mother's womb. Well, how could that be? He hadn't even made a decision for God yet. Well, the final clincher for me is the passage in Luke dealing with John the Baptist. Here was a man that was filled with the Spirit even before he was born. In fact, when Mary arrives, Elizabeth is there. Uh, Mary greets Elizabeth, and John the Baptist, in his spirit, recognizes the Messiah and leaps for joy in his mother's womb. Well, how can a baby in the womb recognize a spiritual truth that way? Well, clearly our belief, trust, and, and faith in God has much more to do with something that God does rather than something that we do. And I would challenge you that when we bring our infants to baptism, we are providing an opportunity for God to do a deep spiritual work in them, not so that they can make a decision for Christ. And finally, when we baptize infants, we are acknowledging their need for cleansing from the stain of sin. The final consideration that I would like us to look at this morning is when it comes to infant baptism, there's a concept I call the myth of the age of accountability. Most of us have uh, the same feeling probably when we look at newborns. Most women think, well, what a precious, innocent gift from the Lord. Most of us men think, wow, it looks like an alien, <laughs> right? Well, a few months later, they actually start looking like real human beings. But the point is, None of us look at the infant and say, yikes, what a sin-stained, corrupt, and unholy mess this one is. We all think of them as being innocent. It's not until much later that most of us begin to think of them as accountable before God, that there's some magic line that they pass from innocence to accountability. That's why we have things like the juvenile court and the adult court. We recognize the gap in comprehension between children and adults when it comes to sin. But God sees a newborn much differently. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. And so God sees us as objects of wrath that need cleansing in order to become acceptable to him. He sees us as one who needs to be covered by the blood of Jesus. And the Bible makes it clear how this covering happens. In Galatians 3.27 it states, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so that's how you get covered in his blood. 
If you are baptized into Christ, you are covered by the cleansing blood and are now acceptable to God. Before, you were not. Now, I don't believe there is some magic line in our lives where we go from being innocent of our sins to being accountable for them. We as parents are responsible for bringing our children who need the Lord to the Lord by whatever means possible and for them to come in baptism. Now, I just want to make a little side note before I conclude here today in regard to those infants who are not being baptized or haven't been baptized, what happens to them? And that's a big question that comes up a lot of times. Um, In that regard, what we say is we don't have a a clear scriptural understanding of what happens to them. But what we do look to is we look to the mercy of God. We know that God is merciful and uh, God is just and we can rely on that. Do we trust in his just uh, actions and his just judgments? Yes, we do. But that still doesn't deter us from bringing the child in baptism. And especially because um, the Bible makes it clear that faith is imparted. We want our child to have faith. We want them to grow up in faith. And so we do many things to try to bring them to faith, bringing them to Sunday school, teaching them scriptures, teaching them many different things. And baptism is one of those things that we do initially. In conclusion, for many of you here today, this sermon is not going to convince you that you should baptize infants. But at the very least, I hope that it will help you understand why we as a church continue to believe that this practice is biblical. We call ourselves a Lutheran church, and so I would like to leave you with a quote from Luther himself regarding baptism of infants. We bring the child in the conviction and hope that it believes, and we pray that God may grant it faith. But we do not baptize it upon that, but solely upon the command of God. Why so? Because we know that God does not lie. I and my neighbor, and in short all men, may err and deceive, but the word of God cannot err. Amen. Father God, thank you for this way of bringing faith to children, that you let the little children come to you. Help us to become like them, Lord, dependent upon you to grant us the grace and faith that we need. And I pray for anybody here who's struggling with that issue today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.